Well, today I want to begin our message by asking you a question. What is your favorite wedding memory? Your favorite wedding memory. I can tell you a few that I would like to forget. When we first moved here 10 years ago, we moved to Texas. I was officiating my very first wedding, and it was going really well. I'm not bragging, but I was crushing it. Get to the very end of the the wedding ceremony, and I say, and now by the power vested in me by the state of Arkansas, I, guys, I was in Texas. This is a problem because people in Texas don't take kindly to getting Texas and Arkansas mixed up. The audience was confused. The bride was confused. I was confused. I didn't even know what was happening. And then there's this moment. We got invited to this fancy wedding. My kids were pretty young. We were at the reception. They had one of these uh, flowing fountains of punch. You've seen the like. I looked over and I saw my kids dipping their cups into the punch fountain, taking a drink and pouring it back in. (laughs) After that, we didn't get invited to a lot of weddings. I think that might have had something to do with it. But I'm wondering about you. What is your favorite wedding memory? Because for a lot of people, it has something to do with that moment. You know, that that special moment, the entrance of the bride. She walks in, the audience rises. Mom's got her Kleenex in hand. Maybe it's dad walking her down the aisle. And everything in him wants to whisper to her, You could do better. (laughs) But then he sees that glow, that smile on her face, and the only words he can get out is, I love you. And then there's the groom, so proud, so in love, and so trying not to cry in front of his groomsmen. Let's just be honest. We love a great wedding. Well, what I want to tell you today is that we're not the only ones. Jesus loved weddings. In fact, he loved them so much that he used that imagery, that metaphor of marriage to point us to what's next. In fact, just look at some of this spread throughout. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And Jesus would also teach this, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to wait for the bridegroom. Then the apostle Paul, Jesus died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. And then finally, this is the apostle John. In Revelation, John got a glimpse of heaven and he writes this, the marriage of the lamb has come His wife has made herself ready. She was given a bridal gown of bright and shining linen. This is all over scripture. Jesus taught it, the apostle Paul, the apostle John. So what what is all this imagery about weddings and marriage? What is it telling us? Well, it's telling us that there is a calendar in heaven and on that calendar, there is a wedding date that is already circled and only the father knows that date. But make no mistake, there is a wedding that is coming. This is also the Apostle John, as he continues right, he says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, 
And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Now this, this fine linen, these are the righteous acts of God's holy people given her to wear. And then look at this. This is John. He continues. He says, then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So not only is there a wedding that is coming, there is apparently a wedding reception or a marriage supper, a wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, John goes out of his way to let us know that blessed are those who are invited to this marriage supper. So you may be wondering, well, who's invited? Who got the invite? Well, it's a pretty impressive list. Old Testament saints, they're going to be there. That's right. You and I are going to be there right in the middle of the reception, and Moses is going to walk in. I don't know how we're going to know it's him. I just have a feeling we're going to know that's Moses, and he's going to walk in. And then someone's going to look across the room, and they're going to go, hey, that's Jacob's wife. And you're going to be like, which one? You're going to be, both of them, you know? <laughs> they're going to be there. And not only Old Testament saints, but those who come to follow Jesus during the period of the tribulation, they're going to be there at that reception as well. Now, they're going to attend the reception. They won't be at the wedding. That privilege is only reserved for those who are come to be followers of Jesus during the church age. The church age is that period between 33 AD with the birth of the church and the rapture of the saints. So last week we talked about this. We talked about the fact that the church would be raptured from the earth and that we would be crowned with Christ. Now, if all Jesus ever did was to rescue us and reward us, that would be enough. But Jesus' desire is for more than just being our judge. He wants to be our groom. Now, this takes us back to our original question. What is your favorite wedding memory? My favorite wedding memory would have to be my wedding. Standing there at that altar, and that was the moment. We were in this little church building. The doors open in the back, and Alicia walks out, and I'm telling you, she was stunning, radiant, faithful, and true. And everyone in the room was thinking the same thing. How did he get her? <laughs> and that's including me. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking, but I just remember I loved my bride. Well, Jesus loves his bride too, the church. In fact, Isaiah 62 Verse five tells us this, as a man rejoices over his new wife, so your God will rejoice over you. Sometimes I'll visit with somebody or I'll hear someone say, I love Jesus, but not the church. Well, I get it. I mean, the church is flawed because the church is us. People were messy. But I want you to see this. Jesus does not see his bride the way that we are sometimes tempted to judge her. When Jesus sees his bride, he sees stunning, 
radiant, faithful, and true. Now, with all her imperfections and flaws, you may be wondering, how in the world is that possible? Well, the apostle Paul gives us some insight into how this is possible. He says, Christ's love makes the church whole. That's how. It's his love. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. You see, this dress that Christ is giving to his bride, it is his love that's making her whole. It's her, his love that's making her holy. Now, this dress that she has, isn't it's not like some social media filter that's like covering up what's actually there. What's actually there is holiness, righteousness. Why? Because Jesus is dressing his bride in his perfection. He's giving her his perfection. You see, it's his love that's making her whole. It's his love that's making her holy. Look at this. It is not our love for God. Now, this is important because sometimes we get these backwards. But it is not our love for God. It is God's love for us in sending his son to be the way to take away our sins. Maybe you've heard a groom say something like, I would die for my bride. Well, in Jesus, we have a groom who already has. Now, what do we do with a message like this? Well, in a word, I think we prepare. You see, we have a groom who has already been willing to pay a price for us. Now, Here's some of the implication of this teaching. Some of you may be in a place where you've begun to question your worth or your value. Maybe it's something that somebody said. Maybe it's something that somebody did. Maybe you're just in a season of your life where you just don't feel as useful as you used to or you don't feel as useful in the same way that you used to be and It's just caused some of that to come up and you're wondering about your worth and your value. Can I tell you that all this talk about weddings and all this talk about Jesus paying a price for you, it means that your value and your worth is a settled issue. It is not up for debate. No one gets to say what you are worth because they have not paid a price for you. Jesus has. Now, to understand this, Actually, to understand a lot of this, we have to go all the way back to the, he- the ancient Hebrew marriage customs to understand it. You see, back in Jesus' day, the bridegroom would pay a price to the, to the bride's father, pay him money. Well, that was a measure of the bridegroom's love for his bride. It set a value on the, the worth of the bride. Well, Jesus has paid the ultimate price for you. Look at this. You were bought, not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And the greatest commodity known to the universe, the precious blood of Christ, that was the price paid for you. He was like a pure and perfect lamb 
And then look at this. You do not belong to yourselves. Why? Because you were, what does it say? Bought. Because you were bought by God for a price. He paid the ultimate price. Why? Because he wanted to bring you home. He wanted you to be able to leave your old house, your old ways, and to receive a new life. It reminds me a little bit of the the old song that we used to sing. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. You see, you've been bought with a price. He sought us. And that is why we seek him. That is why we worship him. That is why we serve him. That's why we read his words and meditate on him. It is not for us to gain his affection. It is because we already have. You already have his affection. So what do we do with a message like this? We prepare. Uh, Again, going back to the ancient customs of Jesus' day, the bride would prepare. Once she was chosen, and by the way, it was always initiated by the groom in that day and time, she was chosen. She would begin to prepare. She would wear a veil so that when she walked out the front door, everybody knew that she was off the market. She would engage in, in ritual Uh, purification baths. They called it a a mikvah. In the mikvah, if you go to Israel today, you can still see these first century, uh, they look like holes in the ground with steps going up, but that was where they would uh, do these uh, ritual, these purification ceremonies. The bride would go and dip down into the water. What was she doing? She was preparing herself. She was purifying herself for what was to come. This is the language that Paul is using. In Ephesians 5, when he's saying, husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The language that he's using right there, while that is so important, he's, he's inviting us into a, a, a mikvah, basically, because what he's saying in, in Ephesians 5, is it's the washing of the water with the word. Now, this word for water, it's not like bath water. It's not like uh, well water. It's, it's like rain water. This word for water is like water that comes from the heavens and it pours over us and it washes us. It cleanses us. What is it washing away? It's washing away our old life, our old ways. We're being cleansed. We're being prepared because the wedding date is coming. We prepare. And by the way, Jesus is preparing. I've told you before, this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus says, in my father's house, there's a lot of room. You see, but only the father knows the date. Jesus is preparing. Again, we have to understand the customs of the day. So in Jesus' day, 
once the bride was chosen, the bridegroom would go back home. He would go back home to his father's house and he would immediately begin a construction project. What is he building? A bridal chamber. Now, sometimes it was a a building that was standing alone. Sometimes it might be adjoined to the house. Sometimes it might just be a, a room within the house that he's decorating. But he would get to work and he would prepare and he would work and he would work and he would work and the father would walk in and he would look around and he would go, Uh, not yet, not yet. And this son would get back to work and he would work and he would work. Sometimes he would work on this bridal chamber for the better part of a year. But at some point, at some point that only the father knew, he would walk in and he would look around. Yeah. He would say to his son, it's time. Go get your bride. And the son would immediately gather his entourage and they would go to the bride's house. Now, sometimes this would happen in the middle of the night. In fact, a lot of times it would, they would surprise the bride. Now, when they did, there would be trumpets blasting. So, I mean, you might get startled, woken up in the middle of the night, you hear trumpets, like, what in the world is that? Oh, that's just, I guess so-and-so going to get his bride. It was just a thing in their, in their world, in their custom. And they would go get the bride and the bridegroom would bring his bride home. This is the imagery that Jesus has in mind when he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You see, Jesus was preparing. And that's why he taught this. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father, my father only. And then the apostle John, he gets this glimpse of heaven as well, as an angel leads him to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, this is John speaking, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The city was built in a square and its length was equal to its width. The angel measured the city with the rod. The city was 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. Now what is John telling us here? He's telling us that Jesus meant what he said. There's a lot of room. There are Many rooms. There are enough rooms for every single person of faith who has ever lived. Okay, it's like the the talk show host, you know, like you get a room, you get a room, you get a room, you get a room, everybody gets a room. There is room for everyone. Now, this is why we take a moment in our service every week to give everyone an opportunity to make a decision for Christ, to surrender their heart to him, to say yes to him. Because that decision that decision is your reservation for your room. To place your trust in him. And by the way, that is a reservation that no one can cancel. It's a settled issue. This is why the Apostle Paul, he pleads with us. He says, aim at what is in heaven. Think only about the things in heaven. Maybe you've been to some fancy weddings before. 
But I'm telling you, you've not seen anything like what is going to take place at the wedding when Christ is married to his bride, the church. It is a marriage made in heaven. Can you imagine? Angels will hover over us. Old Testament saints will toast to us. And we will feel praise welling up within us. And we're going to be free. We're going to be free from sin and death. We're going to be free from tears and and fears. We're, We're going to be free from cancer. We're going to be free from debt. We're going to be free from addictions. We're going to be free from war. Because God has said, no more. Not in my house. Friend, you have a wedding date ahead of you. Dream about it. Talk about it. But most importantly, prepare for it. Be prepared for it. Now, if you leave here today and and somebody asks you, well, what what was the message about? Well, can I just try to sum this all up in, in just one bottom line here? If you'll remember this, let your wedding day define the way you live this day. Let your wedding day define the way you live this day. When Alicia and I uh, were engaged, we still needed to finish school. It took me to Nashville, Tennessee, took her to Conway, Arkansas. It was about five and a half hours away. Now, this was before the day of cell phones, and it's when long-distance phone calls were pretty expensive. But I didn't care. I racked up the phone bills because I, I wanted to hear her voice. I knew that we had a a wedding plan, but in the meantime, I wanted to hear her voice. I I wanted to hear the most insignificant detail of her day. Jesus wants to hear from you as well. Oh, we would would talk on the phone literally for for hours. Starting to rival my college tuition bills. But I longed for her. I longed for our wedding day. Friends, may the same be said of us. Listen, you you are set apart. You are not common. You are being made holy. Do not settle for the empty promises of a one-night stand. You were made for more. You were made for him. And he has given us everything that we need to prepare. Look at this verse in Jude. He can bring you before his glory. He can. He can. He can bring you before his glory without any wrong in you and can give you great joy. Friend, he died to save you. 
but he lives to receive you. The question is, will you receive him?